0: book of Galatians chapter 4. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the cast members of Christmas. Galatians chapter 4, we'd like to begin reading in verse number 3. And if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, there may be one somewhere near you under the seat in front of you. Verse number three, uh, even so we, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When Jesus came uh, that time and when Jesus ministers to you and me today, he ministers ministers to people who are uh, for the most part in bondage, uh, bondage to the devil. But at this particular time, when these people were in bondage, verse number 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Note that. And not of a man, just a woman. Born under the law. And here's the purpose of it all. To redeem those who were under the law, the weight, the stress of the law, That we might receive the adoption of sons or be born into the family of God. And then, because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts. You know, I've told you before, we used to sing years ago in the church this little tune about uh, the Holy Spirit in our heart Uh, Into my heart, come into my heart. Come in today, come in to stay. You thought I was going to sing, didn't you? Come, in, come into my... I almost did. My wife says all the preachers, they all start singing t- right toward the end. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You know, the Christmas story cannot be retold enough. You know that it's, You know, as many times as we've heard these things, they are still so exciting, aren't they? It's just like, wow. Again, we get to talk about it. uh, Because we forget sometimes that there's a whole generation of our kids out there that uh, unless you talk about it, they're not going to hear about it. You know, it's the the Christmas story. It's the theme of many Old Testament prophecies. And Jesus uh, thought them to be so important that, remember, if you were here last week, Uh, that's what Jesus did first after his resurrection. He joined those two of his followers on the road to Emmaus, one of whom, his name was Cleopas, and uh, he opened to them uh, the scriptures in Moses and in the prophets and in all the scriptures, and he explained to them uh, his coming, uh, at least the first coming and probably the second coming as well. The cast members of Christmas, what comes to your mind whenever you think of that? Well, I know what comes to your mind, the same thing that comes to mind. Mary and Joseph, Um, Gabriel, the shepherds, the choir of angels, wise men, the wicked King Herod. Um, But uh, today I'd like to speak to you about another cast of Christmas many years before that one I just mentioned. These characters of which I speak today uh, appeared at different junctures of time down through the centuries. You know, it took time to put these characters together. But before we bring up even the first one, let me talk to you a minute about the world runs on God's time. Um, There's no doubt about it. God has a plan. And he's working out his plan in the world. Now, you and I are a part of that plan. We're not robots. God gives us a lot of flexibility to do uh, to do what uh, we should do and a lot of freedom because we are free moral agents. We're not, uh, we, uh, God just says, here, listen, this is the parameters, you work in these parameters. Uh, Jesus did talk a lot about time in his ministry. If you study through the New Testament, you find repeatedly he was saying, listen, it's not time, it's not my time, it's not time for this. But then after you study through John 13, 14, 15, and 16, that's our Lord's last little gathering with his disciples. Get ready, I'm leaving. Uh, In chapter 17, the Bible says in verse number 1, he looked to heaven and he said, my time has come. And so God has a plan, and uh, he's working it out in the world. Uh, And here we find uh, a real strong Evidence of that in verse number four. But when the fullness of time had come. Some people have described it this way. When the time was right. I believe God does things evidently at the right time. Don't you? Of course. Uh, He is uh, such an infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God that uh, he does things exactly right on his time schedule. Uh, But the message translation says, but when the time arrived that was set by God the Father. God is the timekeeper. And every Christmas I kind of bring out this little idea for you to think about. In the New Testament there are two main words in the Greek language for time. One is the word chronos from which we get chronology or time in a line, time in succession. Uh, That's the kind of time you look at and uh on your watch and you can't stop it but there's another word in the new testament it's the greek word kairos, and it means appointed time and so uh, what happens is in the midst of chronos uh, time and succession god has these these junctures these appointed times uh, that uh, that things take place on those times um, When the world was ready, that's when Jesus came. It was God who orchestrated the readiness of the world. And how did he do that? God moved on the hearts of men and consequentially on nations because men run these nations, seemingly. Uh, And uh, I love Proverbs 21.1. I'm always quoting that. Uh, Let's read it together, okay? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. This is comforting to me, you know that? We look around and we say, okay, this dictator over here on this part of the world, he's pulling strings and he's pulling strings. Listen, God's in charge of this whole thing. God is sitting on his throne and that dictator, his heart is in the hand of God. And uh, God can make him go any direction that God wants him to go in. Uh, Daniel 2.21 is a similar verse, and so let's, uh, let's read that, okay? And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What a powerful verse, huh? Now, we in Pennsylvania understand the first part, right? He changes the times and the seasons. And then he removes kings and raises up kings. It's amazing how these people in powerful places can come on the scene so quickly and disappear just as quickly. Uh, here in verse number 3 of Galatians chapter 4, uh, the Bible says that these particular people were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, if you have a good study Bible, and I hope you'll get one if you don't have one, uh, this is talking about people who are enslaved to the spiritual powers of the world. In other words, the statement refers to any religious experience prior to accepting Christ as Savior. Any religious experience, rituals of human, human religion. You know, uh, I've, been having, I've been having a lot of fun. It's stressful, but I've been having a lot of fun talking to the people uh, at the end of the dinner theater. Uh, because, you know, the things that are so familiar to us in our church are so unfamiliar to those people uh, because all they know is ritual and human religion. Somebody stood up before them and said, this is, the way they, this is the way we do it here in our church, and they saluted without even looking in the Bible. And so uh, it's, it's really nice to see a few lights come on Uh, that the people would even consider the fact of looking in the Bible for the truth. Well, these people were in bondage, and uh, there are many people that you and I know that are in bondage today to religious ritual, right? They go to church, they show up, they go through the routine, and you know what they all say? I don't know why I do this. That's what they all say. They may not all verbalize it, but they, most of them feel that way. Why am I doing this? Well, the cast of characters appeared, appeared down through the centuries at their time. Now, we're going to talk just for a minute about Nebuchadnezzar, but before we bring up his name, we'll put his name up there, uh, I'd like for you to write in your notes 722 B.C., uh, because uh, this was uh, a time that the kingdom of Assyria came against the northern kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel had become so corrupt that God said, okay, that's enough. And he does that. That's You know, as we're reading through the old, our Bible reading schedule here in the church, uh, you see that all the time through the Old Testament, right? Uh, these people became so wicked that God said, okay, if that's the way you want it. And so the Assyrian nation came against the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, primarily the city of Samaria, and besieged it and took away a lot of uh, the Israelites and deported them to other nations and then brought their people in in that area. And so the the fracturing of the kingdom of Israel was started. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, finished it off. He set his sights on Jerusalem. Now, he's coming from a different direction, and he's coming against the southern kingdom. Now, you would think that, you know, we're supposed to learn from history, but, you know, I guess people don't do that. And the southern kingdom saw what happened to the northern kingdom, but they went the same way, idolatry, wickedness. And so Nebuchadnezzar was the whip in the hand of God to punish the nation of Israel, and so when nations come against nations, uh, there's, there's probably a whole lot bigger idea going on out there than, than, than we're looking at. Uh, here God is dispersing his own people. And he's uh, using Nebuchadnezzar, remember the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He's using him uh, to fulfill his plan. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks to these people. Uh, let's read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, he's writing this letter to the people of the dispersion. These people were dispersed. Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem to destroy the the country and the city, and in 606 B.C. that took place. And what, what was God doing here? He was sprinkling the seeds of monotheism and messianic hope. If you're taking notes. Write those two things down. He is spreading the seeds of monotheism. What is that? That is the idea that there is only one God, and the world certainly doesn't understand that. Because how many times have you heard recently, well, you know, there are all sorts of ways to heaven. This God and this God, and you just choose the one you want, and well, uh, God was sprinkling these seeds of monotheism and messianic hope. Daniel, remember, was a powerful, influential person who was a part of this whole, this whole procedure. And uh, the Jewish people, even though they were removed from the land, uh, they weren't removed from God. And many of them held to their principles of living out the word of God in their life and in their family. And, you know, this had a good impact. Of course, it had a great impact on them, but it had an impact on the people around them. It softened up the ground for the gospel to be preached. Their lifestyle was attractive. And they showed that to the world, and it was whenever they lived out God's law, uh, God honored them, and God's law was a good thing if it was lived out the right way. And it had a great purpose. These communities of Jewish people... It would be the first place, remember, the apostles would go to preach the message of Christ. Whenever the apostles went out from, uh, from Jerusalem to go preach, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know where they went first. They went to the synagogue. That was the first place they went. Because those people were almost there in their thinking. They had a background of the coming of the Messiah and so the apostles went out, and they said, "Hey, listen. Let me build on your background. Let me explain to you, like Jesus explained to the people walking on the road to Emmaus. Let me take you through the scriptures and show you that the Messiah has already come." And uh, and so that was uh, Nebuchadnezzar was used to plant these little little communities of God around the world. And that was, I think, and, and I'm, only, I'm only passing on what I've learned. Uh, that, I think, that was his way of making it much easier to proliferate the preaching of the word of God uh, whenever they went out from Jerusalem. Uh, the next, next character was Cyrus of Persia. You know, kingdoms come and go, and, and uh, here's the next kingdom, Cyrus. This is an interesting person. Uh, God said he was his servant. Isaiah 44, I think we have that, yes. Let's read this together. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command that Jerusalem be rebuilt and that the temple be destroyed. Now, God moved on the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to tear down the temple. God moved on the heart of Cyrus to build it back up again. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? This is really interesting. And look what he calls him, my shepherd. Wow, that's powerful. God does speak through good people and bad people. And he moves in all sorts of ways. Cyrus decreed the rebuilding of the temple. It's recorded in Ezra chapter 1. This is a prophecy, by the way, right here. And this prophecy is given a century and a half before Cyrus lived. But in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that decree of rebuilding the temple was given. And Jesus used the temple as a backdrop for his preaching. Uh, Just study through the New Testament, see how many times Jesus showed up to the temple to preach. And after he left, uh, his apostles went to the temple area and preached. And they used it, the Bible says, repeatedly for worship. And so God says, listen, whenever Jesus comes, I need a temple there, Cyrus. Let's make that happen. And he said, okay. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. He changes the hearts of people. And then there's Alexander the Great. We can't leave him out. Uh, You've heard of him. His Greek empire, or his life, uh, existed from 356 to 323. Now, if you do the math, uh, you come up with 33 years. He had a rather short life, but... And uh, if you do the math on Jesus' life, how many years do you come up with? 33. And so uh, here, is, uh, here is a person, Alexander the Great, who will be remembered for a long time. Uh, he took on the world, and the world was his for a short period of time. He captured Persia, Egypt, Babylon, India, and, uh, to establish his power. And he made everybody worship him, and he called himself the Son of God he diffused the culture of greece around the world he founded many cities and i was reading that he that he could have founded as many as 70 cities and he named them all alexander or alexandria i think he had a pride problem don't you <laughs> well he conquered the world and the word is out that 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 he cried one day because there were no worlds left for him to conquer he cried he said I would rather live a short life of glory than a long one of obscurity. Well, that's exactly what he got. Uh, we remember him well. But he did, a, he, did, he did something good for the gospel. He spread the Greek language around the world. And uh, 300, year, 300 BC in Alexandria, there it is again, in Egypt, the Hebrew Bible was translated into the Greek, which was the common tongue. Uh, and it was known as the Septuagint. And now they had a Bible in the language of the people of the world. God always spoke to people in the language they could understand. Uh, and uh, and so they couldn't understand Hebrew, but they all understood Greek. And so God says, okay, and this was the first major translation of any major sized book. Uh, let's take this Bible that nobody can understand, and let's put it in a language people can understand, and, uh, and let's get the word out. And you know, the interesting thing about it, that was, the, that was the Bible that the early church used to evangelize the world, the Old Testament in the Greek language. Uh, and uh, they would do precisely what Jesus did for those two people walking along the road to Emmaus. They would take that Greek Bible of the Old Testament and they would go into the prophecies of Jesus and explain it. Alexander did that for For the world. And then, uh, how about Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of the Roman Empire? Here comes the Romans next. Uh, He was a product of Roman prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. And we know this scripture, well, Luke 2 1 through 3. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from who? Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Carinius was governor in Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Uh, well, the Roman Empire took over the world, and, and uh, empires only last for a time. Uh, but by this particular time, during the time of Christ, there was this thing that we call Pax Romana, which, which simply meant the peace of Rome. Uh, after a period of time, the Roman Empire grew tired of conquering places and there was a relative state of peace on, on earth. And uh, and Bible scholars seem to think that this was produced by God. Uh, so again, the easier proclamation and proliferation of the gospel would be a result. Rome had consolidated a lot of the world under its jurisdiction, and the reason they loved to do this was for taxes and the, that's why the tax collectors uh, in, in Israel were so hated because they were doing it for Rome but, and they were terrific builders and if you ever get to go to the Holy Land you'll find all sorts of things over there that Rome built they built roads, they're still there and they're not like our roads they're still there they have amphitheaters that are still there uh, they have harbors that are still there it was their version of the interstate highway. They did a pretty good job. They worship one man, but the Christian message came along and said, Listen, we know which man we want to worship. And there was a big conflict. But uh, Caesar Augustus moved the world and moved Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, this is a world class of characters that God put together, and I'm sure there could be more. Uh, But let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, okay? We find in verse number 3 that the world at that time was under the bondage of the elements of the world. Biblical scholars say that this means the rituals of religion. But, now here's the key word, but, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son on a mission John one one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory well God sent forth his son uh, into this world uh, this is touching you know that John 15.13 I love this verse let's read it greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so here comes Jesus into the world to lay down his life for you and me. Uh, And uh, it's a terrific thing. The Bible says here he is made of woman, not man. And this denotes the virgin birth. Uh, Under the law, when Jesus came, he was subject to the law. He was raised in a Jewish home. He kept the law. But his purpose to come was to redeem, to purchase from the slave market of sin. Now, Jesus, when there was, there's a number of terms in the Bible that Jesus uses for what he, or the Bible uses for what Jesus did for us, one of which is to redeem, to buy, to purchase. To purchase us from the slave market of sin. And the imagery of that is this. Back in that particular time, and you've seen video of this. A reenactment, at least, uh, they would uh, they would sell these slaves on the market, and uh, in all sorts of lands all around the world, uh, it was a common thing. Uh, and so Jesus came into the world uh, to purchase people who were in slavery, and essentially that's everybody. That's everybody, not just a select group of people. That's everybody. So so God looks at everybody before they're saved as in bondage to sin. And we are, we are shackled by sin. And so here comes this rich, this rich person. And you know what he says? Yeah, I'll buy them all. I'll buy them all. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Is anybody left out uh, in the redemption, I don't think so. Uh, I just want to buy all of them. Second Peter 3, 9 says, He is not willing that, what? Any, Any should perish, but that, what? All, all should come to repentance. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for all people. And so he looks at us all as slaves to sin. And and here we are, and we can't escape. And Jesus came to set us free. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To set us free from the slavery of sin. To redeem them who are under the law, subject to the law. Uh, You know, the law had become a burden to people, too. And uh, he came to unshackle people from that. To pay the price for you and me. You know, it would be enough if he, if he did that. If he, if he came and said, listen, I'll pay the price for all these people who are in bondage, that would be great. I mean, we would all stand and cheer, right? And we should, because we are free. Uh, but uh, then he did something even further than that. Look at this. Uh, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons, he took us home to his house. He wanted us to be a part of his family. Ephesians 3.15, I think we have that. Look at that. Let's read this. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God's people are a family. Some of, our, some of the families in heaven. And we're sending more all the time, aren't we? But some of the rest of the family are right here. And so the Lord says, listen, I'm going to buy you out of your bondage, your, your slavery to sin, and I want you to come home with me to my house. That's big. Uh, and then look what happens, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out what? Abba, Father. Now I know that you probably read a few commentaries on this. And uh, and this translated into English means daddy or papa. You know, aren't aren't those beautiful words? <laughs> Holy cow! Uh, we have Ross and I share some grandkids together, in Carolyn. And uh, boy, when those kids call us papa, grandma, it's like ooh, that's music to your ears, isn't it? You know, I believe i believe that uh, people can become be too familiar with god by using slang terms and things of that nature but this is not too familiar this is precious he sends forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out abba father and it becomes natural now listen it beca- that's a natural reaction to a from a child to a parent and see now we're the children of god And it's okay for us to call God our daddy. It's tender to God. It's tender. It's not familiar. It's just the way it is. And the Spirit prompts us to communicate with God like that. Well, uh, that's the cast of Christmas. God put these pieces in place. And then he, he, he saw all of these people in need of freedom. And he says, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to pay the price for their freedom. And you and I today are living proof that we are redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us just thank the Lord on uh, one of these Christmas mornings of December for uh, this tremendous story of how God set this whole thing up uh, so that uh, he could purchase you and me everybody who was everybody who was in bondage to sin and not only pay the price for our freedom but ask us to come home to be a part of his family You and I are are part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm going to ask you this morning to be as thankful as you can all day long today for that fact. Because that's the greatest thing in all the world. Dear Lord, I pray that as we we come to the conclusion of our service today, that you will move in our hearts. And uh, Lord, just help us to take the part of this message that that you want for each and every one, and apply it to our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.